Section fifty three of Fabiola by Nicholas Patrick Cardinal Wiseman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Part second Conflict. Chapter thirty four Bright Death. It was a few days after the occurrences related in our last chapter, but one, that Fabiola was told that an old man in great anguish, real or pretended, desired to speak with her. On going down to him and asking him his name and business, he replied, My name, noble lady, is Ephraim, and I have a large debt secured on the property of the late Lady Agnes, which I understand is now passed into your hands, and I am come therefore to claim it from you, for otherwise I am a ruined man. How is that possible? asked Fabiola in amazement. I cannot believe that my cousin ever contracted debts. No, not she rejoined the usurer, a little abashed, but a gentleman called Fulvius, to whom the property was to come by confiscation, so I advanced him large sums upon it. Her first impulse was to turn the man out of the house, but the thought of the sister came to her mind, and she civilly said to him, Whatever debts Fulvius has contracted I will discharge, but with only legal interest, and without regard to usurious contracts. But think of the risks I ran, madam. I have been most moderate in my rates, I assure you. Well, she answered, call on my steward, and he shall settle all. You are running no risks now, at least. She gave instructions accordingly to the freedman who managed her affairs, to pay this sum on those conditions, which reduced it to one half the demand. But she soon engaged him in a more laborious task, that of going through the whole of her late father's accounts, and ascertaining every case of injury or oppression, that restitution might be made, and further, having ascertained that Corvinus had really obtained the imperial rescript through his father, by which her own lawful property was saved from confiscation, though she refused ever to see him, she bestowed upon him such a remuneration as would ensure him comfort through life. These temporal matters being soon disposed of, she divided her attention between the care of the patient and preparation for her Christian initiation. To promote Miriam's recovery, she removed her, with a small portion of her household, to a spot dear to both, the Nomenton Villa. The spring had set in, and Miriam could have her couch brought to the window, or, in the warmest part of the day, could even be carried down into the garden before the house, where, with Fabiola on one side and Emerentiana on the other, and poor Melosus, who had lost all his spirit, at her feet. They would talk of friends lost, and especially of her, with whom every object around was associated in their memories. And no sooner was the name of Agnes mentioned, than her old faithful guard would pick up his ears and wag his tail, and look around him. They would also frequently discourse on Christian subjects, when Miriam would follow up, humbly and unpretendingly, but with the warm glow which had first charmed Fabiola, the instructions given by the holy Dionysius. Thus, for instance, when he had been treating of the virtue and meaning of the sign of the cross to be used in baptism, whether on the forehead of believers or over the water, by which they were to be regenerated, or the oil with which, as well as the chrism, they were anointed, or the sacrifice by which they are fed, Miriam explained to the catechumens its more domestic and practical use, and exhorted them to practice faithfully what all good Christians did, that is, to make this holy sign upon themselves already, in the course and at the beginning of every work, on coming in and going out, 
when putting on their clothes or sandals, when they washed, sat down to table, lighted their lamp, lay down in bed, or sat on a chair, in whatever conversation they should be engaged. But it was observed with pain by all but Fabiola that the patient, though the wound had healed, did not gain strength. It is often the mother or sister that is last to see the slow waste of illness in child or sister. Love is so hopeful and so blind. There was a hectic flush on her cheek, she was emaciated and weak, and a slight cough was heard from time to time. She lay long awake, and she desired to have her bed so placed that from early dawn she could look out upon one spot more fair to them all than the richest parterre. There had long been in the villa an entrance to the cemetery on this road, but from this time it had already received the name of Agnes, for near its entrance had this holy martyr been buried. Her body rested in a cubiculum or chamber under an arched tomb. Just above the entrance into this chamber, and in the middle of the grounds, was an opening surrounded above by a low parapet, concealed by shrubs, which gave light and air to the room below. Towards this point Miriam loved to look, as the nearest approach she could make, in her infirm health, to the sepulchre of one whom she so much venerated and loved. Early one morning, beautiful and calm, for it wanted but a few weeks to Easter, she was looking in that direction, when she observed half a dozen young men, who on their way to Angle in the neighbouring Anio, were taking a shortcut across the villa, and so committing a trespass. They passed by this opening, and one of them, having looked down, called the others. This is one of those underground lurking places of the Christians. One of their rabbit holes into the burrow. Let us go in, said one. Yes, and how shall we get up again? asked the second. This dialogue she could not hear, but she saw what followed it. One who had looked down more carefully, shading his eyes from the light, called the others to do the same, but with gestures that enjoined silence. In a moment they pulled down large stones from the rockwork of a fountain close at hand, and threw down a volley of them at something below. They laughed very heartily as they went away, and Miriam supposed that they had seen some serpent or other noxious animal below, and had amused themselves with pelting it. When others were stirring, she mentioned the occurrence, that the stones might be removed. Fabiola went down herself with a few servants, for she was jealous of the custody of Agnes's tomb. What was her distress on finding poor Emerantiana gone down to pray at her foster-sister's tomb, lying weltering in her blood, and perfectly dead? It was discovered that, the evening before, passing by some pagan orgies near the river, and being invited to join in them, she had not only refused, but had reproached the partakers in them with their wickedness, and with their cruelties to Christians. They assailed her with stones, and grievously wounded her but she escaped from their fury into the villa. Feeling herself faint and wounded, she crept unnoticed to the tomb of Agnes, there to pray. She had been unable to move away when some of her former assailants discovered her. Those brutal pagans had anticipated the ministry of the church, and had conferred upon her the baptism of blood. She was buried near Agnes, and the modest peasant child received the honor of annual commemoration among the saints. Fabiola and her companions went through the usual course of preparation, though abridged on account of the persecution, by living at the very entrance into a cemetery, and one furnished with such large churches, they were enabled to pass through the three stages of catechumenship. First they were hearers, admitted to be present while the lessons were read, then kneelers, who assisted at a portion of the liturgical prayers, and lastly elect, 
or petitioners for baptism. Once in this last class they had to attend frequently in church, but more particularly on the three Wednesdays following the first, the fourth, and the last Sundays in Lent, on which days the Roman Missal yet retains a second collect and lesson, derived from this custom. Anyone perusing the present rite of baptism in the Catholic Church, especially that of adults, will see condensed into one office what used to be anciently distributed through a variety of functions. On one day the renunciation of Satan was made, previous to its repetition just before baptism. On another the touching of the ears and nostrils, or the ephata, as it was called. There were repeated exorcisms and genuflections and signings of crosses on the forehead and body, breathings upon the candidate, and other mysterious rites. More solemn still was the unction which was not confined to the head, but extended to the whole body. The creed was also faithfully learnt and committed to memory, but the doctrine of the Blessed Eucharist was not imparted till after baptism. In these multiplied preparatory exercises, the penitential time of Lent passed quickly and solemnly, till at last Easter Eve arrived. It does not fail to our lot to describe the ceremonial of the Church and the administration of the sacraments. The liturgical system received its great developments after peace had been gained, and much that belongs to outward forms and splendor was incompatible with the bitter persecution which the Church was undergoing. It is enough for us to have shown how not only doctrines and great sacred rites, but how even ceremonies and accessories were the same in the three first centuries as now. If our example is thought worth following, someone will perhaps illustrate a brighter period than we have chosen. The baptism of Fabiola and her household had nothing to cheer it but purely spiritual joy. The titles in the city were all closed, and among them that of St. Pastor, with its papal baptistry. Early, therefore, on the morning of the auspicious day, the party crept round the walls to the opposite side of the city, and following the Via Portuensis, or road that led to the port at the mouth of the Tiber, turned into a vineyard near Caesar's Gardens and descended into the cemetery of Pontianus, celebrated as the resting place of the Persian martyrs, Saints Abdon and Sinan. The morning was spent in prayer and preparation when towards evening the solemn office, which was to be protracted through the night, commenced. When the time for the administration of baptism arrived, it was indeed but a dreary celebration that it introduced. Deep in the bowels of the earth, the waters of a subterranean stream had been gathered into a square well or cistern, from four to five feet deep. They were clear, indeed, but cold and bleak, if we may use the expression, in their subterranean bath, formed out of the tuffa, or volcanic rock. A long flight of steps led down to this rude baptistry. A small ledge at the side sufficed for the minister and the candidate, who was thrice immersed in the purifying waters. The hole remains to this day, just as it was then, except that over the water is now to be seen a painting of St. John, baptizing our Lord, added probably a century or two later. Immediately after baptism followed confirmation, and then the neophyte, or newborn child of the church, after due instruction, was admitted for the first time to the table of his lord, and nourished with the bread of angels. It was not till late on Easter day that Fabiola returned to her villa, and a long and silent embrace was her first greeting of Miriam. Both were so happy, so blissful, so fully repaid for all that they had been to one another for months, that no words could give expression to their feelings. 
fabiola's grand idea and absorbing pride that day was that now she had risen to the level of her former slave not in virtue not in beauty of character not in greatness of mind not in heavenly wisdom not in merit before god oh no in all this she felt herself infinitely her inferior but as a child of god as heirs to an eternal kingdom as living member of the body of christ as admitted to a share in all his mercies to all the price of his redemption as a new creature in him she felt that she was equal to miriam and with happy glee she told her so never had she been so proud of splendid garment as she was of the white robe which she had received as she came out of the font and which she had to wear for eight days but a merciful father knows how to blend our joys and sorrows and sends us the latter when he has best prepared us for them in that warm embrace which we have mentioned she for the first time noticed the shortened breath and heaving chest of her dear sister she would not dwell upon it in her thoughts but sent to beg dionysius to come on the morrow that evening they all kept their easter banquet together and fabiola felt happy to preside at miriam's side over a table at which reclined or sat her own converted slaves and those of agnes's household all of whom she had retained she never remembered having enjoyed so delightful a supper early next morning miriam called fabiola to her side and with a fond caressing manner which she had never before displayed said to her my dear sister what will you do when i have left you poor fabiola was overpowered with grief are you then going to leave me i had hoped we should live for ever as sisters together but if you wish to leave rome may i not accompany you at least to nurse you to serve you miriam smiled but a tear was in her eye as taking her sister's hand she pointed up towards heaven fabiola understood her and said oh no no dearest sister pray to god who will refuse you nothing that they may not lose you it is selfish i know but what can i do without you and now too that i have learnt how much they who reign with christ can do for us by intercession i will pray to agnes and sebastian to interpose for me and avert so great a calamity do get well i am sure there is nothing serious in the matter the warm weather and the genial climate of campania will soon restore you you will sit again together by the spring and talk over better things than philosophy miriam shook her head not mournfully but cheerfully as she replied do not flatter yourself dearest god has spared me till i should see this happy day but his hand is on me now for death as it has been hitherto for life and i hail it with joy i know too well the number of my days oh let it not be so soon sobbed out fabiola not while you have on your white garment dear sister answered miriam i know you would wish to mourn for me but i would not rob you of one hour of your mystic whiteness dionysius came and saw a great change in his patient whom he had not visited for some time it was as he had feared it might be the insidious point of the dagger had curled round the bone and injured the pleura and felicis had rapidly set in he confirmed miriam's most serious anticipations fabiola went to pray for resignation at the sepulchre of agnes she prayed long and fervently and with many tears then returned sister she said with firmness 
God's will be done. I am ready to resign even you to him. Now tell me, I entreat you, what would you have me do after you are taken from me? Miriam looked up to heaven and answered, Lay my body at the feet of Agnes, and remain to watch over us, to pray to her and for me, until a stranger shall arrive from the east, the bearer of good tidings. On the Sunday following, Sunday of the White Garments, Dionysius celebrated, by special permission, the sacred mysteries in Miriam's room, and administered to her the Most Holy Communion, as her Viaticum. This private celebration, as we know from St. Augustine and others, was not a rare privilege. Afterwards he anointed her with oil, accompanied by prayer, the least sacrament which the church bestows. Fabiola and the household who had attended these solemn rites with tears and prayers now descended into the crypt, and after the divine offices returned to Miriam in their darker raiment. The hour is come, said she, taking Fabiola's hand. Forgive me if I have been wanting in duty to you, and in good example. This was more than Fabiola could stand, and she burst into tears. Miriam soothed her, and said, Put to my lips the sign of salvation, when I can speak no more. And, good Dionysius, remember me at God's altar when I am departed. He prayed at her side, and she replied, till at length her voice failed her but her lips moved, and she pressed them on the cross presented to her. She looked serene and joyful, till at length, raising her hand to her forehead, then bringing it to her breast, it fell dead there, and making the saving sign. A smile passed over her face, and she expired, as thousands of Christ's children have expired since. Fabiola mourned much over her, but this time she mourned, as they do who have hope. End of section 53